Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we just sang a song asking you to speak to us, and again, we ask that. We thank you for your word. We acknowledge its truth, and we acknowledge our need for it to speak to us, and we pray that you would speak today. In Christ's name, amen. We're, we are basing our sermons this summer on readings from the lectionary, which is a Bible reading plan that's designed for worship services. And the passage that we're looking at this morning from the book of Jeremiah, these are words that uh, were written over 2,600 years ago, which is a long time, right? And yet, these words address a problem that is very, very relevant to the church today. So what I'd like to do with this, I want to touch on just three points. First, I, I want to talk about the problem, what it is, the problem they were facing, we're still facing it. Secondly, I want to talk about the way to address that problem. And then third, I just want to talk about why this really matters, why this is so important. Okay, so we'll start with the problem. Jeremiah was a prophet who was born in the 7th century B.C. He lived in the nation of Judah. Uh, during the years that led up to the destruction of that nation, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. So Jeremiah lived in a critical season in the history of the Hebrew people. They, he lived at a time when they were facing impending destruction. During that time, God was trying to speak to his people through his prophets to get their attention so they would, they would turn from their sins and be forgiven and not be destroyed. So he, he lives in this time when God is trying to speak to his people. And here's the problem. The problem was, well, while God was trying to speak through his prophets, there were all these, Jeremiah calls them false prophets. There were all these, these other messengers who were, who were coming to the people saying they spoke for God, but their, their message was not really from the Lord. And these prophets are described in verse 25 as the prophets, God says, who prophesy lies in my name. Now, the verses we looked at are actually part of a longer discourse. So if you look at the whole chapter, you'll, you'll learn a lot more about these, these false teachers that were uh, alive back then. One of the things you'll learn is that these were people who were misusing their positions of authority. Uh, verse 10 says, the prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. And you, and you maybe you have known... Um, church leaders who did that. Instead of, instead of using their position of influence, 
for the purposes of God, for the well-being of others. Maybe you've known pastors or, or church leaders who've used their public platform just for selfish reasons, for, to make themselves rich, to uh, become famous. And that's, that's one of the things that was going on with these false prophets, this abuse of uh, their authority. A second thing that was happening is that they were hypocrites. They were living, these were people who were living secret lives of sin. Uh, verse 14 says, among the prophets of Judah, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and they live a lie. I wonder if you've ever heard of uh, church leaders, pastors or priests who, they live a lie. You know, they, in public, they act all righteous and all noble and they stand for God. But, but then you find out in their, in their private lives, there's just horribly ungodly things taking place. That's, that's also what was happening with, with these prophets. Um, and then another thing is, is you read about these false prophets is that I guess we would say that they, they were preaching a sort of a cheapened view of God's grace. They were basically telling people that God is gracious, God forgives, so it doesn't really matter how you live. It doesn't matter if you're sinful. It doesn't matter if you obey God. It, just, it doesn't really matter because it just... Too much, too much grace. And so uh, you read these things in this chapter. Verse 14 says, They strengthen the hand of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. Verse 16, They fill you with false hopes. Uh, verse 17, They keep saying to those who despise God, The Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, No harm will come to you. So just telling people that we're living in disobedience, it doesn't really matter. God, God's okay with this. And would you agree with me that we have seen that um, kind of teaching in our country? I mean, if you could go back 200 years, 200 years ago, you would find preachers all over this land who were telling slave owners, it's okay. It doesn't matter. God, God's okay with that. And you see similar things today. You'll see... Um, you see preachers actually encouraging their congregations to live their life in pursuit of greed. Just talking about prosperity, prosperity all the time. As, as if greed is okay. The Bible says greed is a form of idolatry. Or, or, or you'll find church leaders who, who they, um, they cover up for abusers in their church. Just kind of sweep that sin under, under the rug. Just not, not taking sin seriously. Uh, Rachel... Uh, Den Hollander is a, is a Christian woman who is an advocate for survivors of, of sexual abuse. And I heard her, she was addressing a room full of future Christian leaders and what good counsel she gave them. She said this, she said, if you treat wickedness as less wicked than God himself treats it, you are not accurately representing Christ. And I think Jeremiah would have said that about these false prophets. You, he said, you, you're... You're not treating wickedness as wickedness. You're telling people sin doesn't matter. You're, he, you're not, he, Jeremiah would say to those prophets, you are not accurately, accurately representing Yahweh, the Lord, the God of holiness. So this, this is what was going on in Jeremiah's day. Sound familiar? People in positions of spiritual authority misusing their, their uh, positions for personal gain, uh, People, people who publicly look like they're all righteous, but secretly they're living very ungodly lives. Um, pr preachers who are just sort of winking at sin in the congregation and, and, and telling people it doesn't really matter. That this is what's going on, but that's not the worst thing. If you read this chapter of Jeremiah, you see that the basic, the basic emphasis, the worse than anything else these false prophets were doing, they claimed to speak for God, but... 
the message they were proclaiming, it wasn't truly God's word. You see that throughout the chapter, verse 16. God says this, they speak visions from their own minds. This stuff they're making up. They speak vision from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 18, which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who of them has listened and heard God's word? Verse 21, God says, I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. And, and then in today's uh, passage, verse 26, these lying prophets, they prophesy the delusion of their own minds. So that's what was going on back then. And would you agree with me that that's happening today? And in fact, it seems like with the, um, the increase of our accessibility to, to information, with the internet, with social media, it's just, it's just everywhere you go. You, you run into this kind of teaching. And I think if Jesus were here, he'd probably say, are you really surprised? I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. Christ himself warned us. He said that the church would always, and increasingly as time goes on, would always be threatened in its health, its spiritual vitality by false teaching. So Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, this is what will happen at the end of time. He said, many will turn away from the faith. Have you heard of anyone turning away from the faith? Many will turn away from the faith and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So that's, that's the problem in this passage that they were facing. This crucial time of their history, they needed to hear from God. And then there's all this interference for these false messages. And it's, it's a problem we face today. Now, second point, what, how, how should we deal with this problem? Now, one approach might be to go on the warpath, hunt down these false teachers, put them on trial for their heresy, burn them at the stake. This sounds radical, right? You know that there was a time in church history, and that's what the church did. If somebody was teaching something that, that wasn't orthodox, they, they, they would actually be, they would be killed for it. Would you agree with me that that doesn't really sound like the spirit of Jesus? I can't imagine Jesus lighting a fire and burning someone. In fact, in fact, didn't Jesus tell us Sermon on the Mount? He, he said, what did he say? He said, love your enemies. Don't kill them. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So let's rule out that approach. We're not going to kill anybody. Um, another approach, and this is, this is the more current one, the more modern, you would maybe say postmodern approach, and that is in, in the face of all these different messages, just decide to become very, very cynical. You know, just say, you know what, uh, nobody really knows what the truth is. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And, you know, we all have to define it for ourselves. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what we teach or believe because, you know, as long as you're sincere. That's kind of the, 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 way, the approach of many people today. And I'm wondering if you would be like me and just saying, you know what, that sounds really sophisticated, but I just, I don't find that satisfying. I am not content with blissful ignorance. I, I want to know what the truth is. So what is the approach? You'll, you'll notice in this, in this short passage we're looking at, God does not tell Jeremiah to go hunt down and kill the false prophets. And God does not instruct the people just to give up on seeking truth. What does God say? Verse 28, God says, let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. 
you got some silly dream you want to talk about, God's like, be my guest. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. In other words, what God is saying in Jeremiah's day, he would say the same thing. That he's saying God's, God's solution to false teaching is what? God's solution to false teaching is true teaching. He says, let the prophet who has my word speak it. Speak it faithfully. Uh, my, my older sister, years ago, she worked for a while as a bank teller. And when they were training her to be a bank teller, they wanted her to be able to recognize counterfeit currency, right? So the way they taught her, they didn't show her any counterfeit bills. They put her in a room for, a, for I think, a whole afternoon in, in front of a big table filled with money. And they said, just play with it. What? Play with this money for the rest of the day. And, and she said, what do you mean play with it? They said, you know, pick it up, look at it, fold it, crunch it into balls, throw it in the air, put it in stacks, smell it, just, just spend the afternoon playing with money. And so that's what they did. And, and why did you do that? Well, um, they, what they said to her is the best way to recognize a counterfeit is just to become thoroughly acquainted with the real thing. They're like, if you know what real money smells like, the weight of it, the look of it, the feel of it in your fingers, you will recognize counterfeits. And, and I, wonder, I wonder if this is why God is saying to Jeremiah, listen, Jeremiah, don't get, all, don't get all worried about these false prophets. They got a dream, let them preach their dream, whatever. Jeremiah is just, you just preach the word. Just teach my word. Isn't this something, doesn't that make you feel good about your God that he is not intimidated? By all this false teaching, he's like, oh, man, I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with that. Just my word can just preach my word, right? Isn't it? Now, why, why would God be so confident that he would say to Jeremiah, they got their dreams, let them preach their dreams. You preach the word. Why would, he, why would God be so confident about his word? Well, there are certain aspects of the, the word of God, the revealed truth of God that you find in Scripture that cannot be counterfeited. They can't be duplicated by, by, by anything else. So one is how thoroughly nourishing God's Word is. How many of you would say you found God's Word to be nourishing for you in your life? The, God, God says here, let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. End of verse 28, he says this, for what has straw to do with grain? Now, um, unless you are a cow, Straw has no nutritional value for you at all. You could eat it as long as you want, and you'll starve to death. It has no nutrition. But grain can make flour, flour can make bread, and bread can nourish you and sustain you and keep you alive. And that's what God is saying about his word. He says, you know, no matter what people are coming up with and saying, it's, it's not going to, it will never feed the deep, deep hunger of people's souls the way my, my word has. It's, my word can. God's word is so nourishing. So I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever personally known somebody who came out of a cult uh, background or somebody who came from a church where, where the, uh, the teachers were twisting the word, and they've come into a church where the word of God is being taught faithfully, and you ask them, what, it, what does it feel like? They will almost always tell you, it is so nourishing. It's just to hear God's word. It just feeds me. And I wonder if you've found that to be true in your life, that God's word feeds you. 
So why, why is God not intimidated by these false prophets and he just says, you know, just preach the word? First, because God's word is nourishing like nothing else is. Secondly, is because God's word is powerful. I, th I think that's the meaning of the, the images used in verse 29. The Lord says this, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? There, there is an element of power to God's word. He, the book of Hebrews chapter 4 says, The word of God is living and active. There's, so through the study of, of Scripture, and what do I mean by study? I mean through hearing the word, learning the word, meditating on the word, applying God's word to your life. Listen, you will see God do things in you that will happen no other way. How many, how many of you experience things like this from, from the word of God? Through his word, God will fill you with wisdom, and God will free you from fear. And God, God, God will form within you a passion for justice, a passion for holiness. God will guide you in decisions you make. God, God will heal you in places where you're broken. Through his word, God will transform you. So that's why God says, my, my word's like a hammer. And the hammer just breaks up those hard places inside you. Have, have you ever experienced that? Places are so hard, impenetrable, and then the, the word of God just breaks that away. Where he says, my word is like a fire. It will set you ablaze. First uh, Peter chapter 1, Peter said to, to Christians whose lives had been radically changed since coming to Christ. He's like, they're probably thinking, how did my life change so much? He says to them, you were born again through the living and enduring word of God. God's word changed you. So um, God's word is nourishing, it's powerful. And then one final thing you see here, and that's this. God's word is always true. Always true. Thank you for a few amens. I like that. So verse 23 and 24, the Lord says this. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can, who, who can hide in secret places so I can't see them, declares the Lord. Do, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So, so here's, I think what God is saying in, in the context, he's saying, you know, these false prophets, they might claim that they have, they have the newest, latest, greatest insight for, this is the insight for our time and our place and our generation. And, and, and God is saying, you know what? My word is not limited to our time and our place and our generation. My, my word is true everywhere, anywhere, anywhere you go, at whatever time you live, wherever you happen to be, whatever's going on in your world, God just says, I'm not just the God nearby and not far away. I'm, I'm God everywhere and everywhere you go and whenever you are there, God says, my word will always be true. And it seems to me that's what Jesus said about Scripture, didn't he? In, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he said, Truly I tell you, until Jesus said this, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So God's solution to the false teachers is um, to Jeremiah. He's basically saying, don't, don't, you know, don't get in a fight with them. Don't run after them. Don't persecute. Just don't, don't, and don't just 
give up on God's, God's solution to Jeremiah was, Jeremiah, just teach the word. Let the prophet who has the word preach it faithfully. Preach it faithfully. Um, I think God is saying to his people, if, if you just know the real thing, you're not going to be deceived by a counterfeit. And so the, I want to tell you a couple of things that are planned for our church in the fall that I'm excited about because I think that they will help us as a congregation um, be more thoroughly equipped by God's Word. So one is we're starting it again in September, our community groups. And I'll tell you, if you join any community group, it will help you get into God's Word better because you'll be studying the Word with other believers. But we're, gonna, we're planning to start one, one community group uh, this fall that we've, we've never done a group like this before. And this is going to be a group for people who really want to, um, they want to form in their personal life a, a rhythm where they where they learn to be in God's Word in a meaningful way every day. So the members of this group are going to have a Bible reading plan, about 15 minutes a day, that will take them through the entire Bible in a year. And they'll meet together to cheer each other on and encourage each other and talk about what they're learning in the Word. So that might be something that would interest you. Uh, another thing, we've, we have been gradually rolling out a more thorough Christian education uh, program in our church. And we're going to offer a, a, a class this fall on interpreting Scripture. How do, you, how do you read different genres of literature in the Bible? How do you know how to interpret it? So I'm excited about those wives because we're, you know, we're not busy enough and we need more things to do. No. Because um, investing time together as a community in, in learning to be equipped in God's Word, it will change us. It's really, really uh, significant. So the problem they faced was all this false teaching. The solution, the way to approach it, is true teaching, God's Word. Now, final thought. Why is this important? Why, why does this matter? You know, the, the, thr the thrust of this passage is God wants us to know his word. Why, why, is God, why is God so concerned about whether we know his word? Is it, is it because God is just kind of picky, you know? He just wants to make sure. I don't know if you ever met people, you kind of feel like they, they consider themselves deputized members of the theology police and they're always watching everything you say about the Bible and it has to be perfectly accurate. If you ever been in a Bible study group with someone like that, you're just afraid to say anything because what if it comes out wrong? You know, is, is God like that? He just wants us to have lots and lots of knowledge and everyone here can pass their doctrine exam. Is, that, is God, is that the reason why? No, it's not the reason. Why, why is it so important to your God that you know his word. Well, look with me at verse 26 and 27. God says this, how, how long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Now, two things that, that I'll emphasize. First, did you notice that? Did you notice how God refers to the people of Judah? He calls them my people. These are my people. These are my daughters. These are my sons. They're mine. I love them. And I want you to hear this. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, God views you exactly the same way. He says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my, you're my people, I love you. So um, 
One, one, one reason this is important is God, God just says, I, I care deeply about you. Second thing you'll notice here is God says, God doesn't say, you know, these false prophets, they're going to mess up everyone's knowledge. He says, no, they're going to make them forget my name, which is a way of saying, God, these false prophets, they're good. here's why it's important. He's saying, they're going to they're gonna make my people drift away from me. So the reason this is so important to God that we know his word is not because God is some kind of uh, nitpicky doctrinal perfectionist. And there's all these rules. If you're a Christian, you have to read the Bible. It's a rule. It's, listen, guys, this is not about rules. This is about a relationship. God says, you're my people. I want you to know me. I want you close to me. You see that? You know, somebody, you might hear somebody say, you know, I'm not really into all this knowing the Bible stuff. I just, I just want a relationship with God. You know, that sounds beautiful at, at, when you first hear it. But you know, how can you have a relationship with someone if you don't hear their words? Imagine, imagine my wife says to me, you know, David, I feel like you don't really listen to me. And I say, so, big deal. Who cares if I listen to you? I, I'm, I married you because I want a relationship, not just to hear your words. I mean, wouldn't that be silly? How do you have a relationship with someone without their words? A person's words is what reveals their heart, is what reveals their, what's going on. So when God says to you, I want you to know my word, it's not because God is just, I've got this exam and I want everyone to pass it. No. It's God saying, I love you. I love you. You're my people. I don't want you drifting. I want you to know my heart. That's why this is so important. Because of God's love. You ever, have you ever doubted if God loves you? I have. Maybe everything's going wrong in my life. You're like, this is love? Or maybe I've messed up and done wrong things. I don't think he loves me. You do know how you know God loves you, right? Do you know that? Not by what's going on in your life and not by whether you had a good week last week. The way you know God's love, if you, if you believe this, is that he gave his son to die for you so you would be his friend. And the reason he wants you to know his word, his true word, is for that very reason. He loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that there are passages like this one in your word that warn us about people who, who would deceive us with their, their wrong teaching. And we pray that as a church and as your people, we would be so thoroughly equipped in knowing your word, that we would recognize alive when we hear it, and more than anything, that we would rejoice in your love when we see it every single day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.